Good morning, family. It was so amazing when, as I was greeting people at the door just to see how many people dressed up and looked so beautiful. So I think you should give yourselves a really good round of applause. I know some of you dressed in Hatfield culture, so whatever that looks like. And uh, some of you really just came and... I want Natasha to stand. I think she looks... Come on. She, uh, to me, she looks so beautiful in her... I'm going to pay for that later, but never mind. So it's so good to be together today to celebrate, and we're going to have a great day together and celebrate. The little bit of cold wind is not going to get us from uh, not celebrating and having a good time and brying some meat and having picnic, and today is just a, a really special day. For us as a family, it's a special day. It's our oldest's birthday also. Ethan turns 19 today, so we, uh, we're celebrating that also, but even more special than that, if you want to talk about Heritage Day, we uh, celebrated in this, this uh, on the 31st of August, Tani Bops turned 100 years old. So if you want to talk about somebody that's seen everything and seen it all, and there she's sitting over there with the balloons on her, on her wheelchair, and uh, we want to give her a really good round of applause. If you think about a hundred years, she uh, got married in 1942. Wow. Her, and uh, only after she got married, she started competing in sport and did many different sports throughout her lifetime. Listen to this list. Tennis, gymnastics, swimming, and athletics with provincial colors. She, she had a hip replacement when she was 70, but she continued to swim until she was 88. So... Suddenly I feel very young. Uh, her other talents are needlework, wood carving, baking, and cooking wonderful meals. So we want to celebrate you, Tani Bops, and just for everything and who you are, Tani Bops LaRue. And may the Lord bless you in this year and strengthen you and keep you healthy and strong. It's wonderful to share the word of the Lord together this morning, and as you know, for those of you that have been with us for this last term, we've been doing faith for tough times, and just considering how, you know, the realities of life and the things we face, but how faith is the, is the thing that keeps us standing and going through these difficult times. And today I want to talk about the, the tough get going. In tough times, the tough get going. And I want to share a message with you that's about the life of Solomon. And uh, Solomon's life, uh, last year we did the, the study on, uh, on the book of Proverbs and we looked at all the wisdom writings of, of Solomon and uh, Solomon's life in the scripture and, and even today many of us talk about Solomon as a picture of somebody that was really successful and somebody that achieved a lot. And probably in the, as, a, as, as, a, as Israel's kings went, he was the most successful particularly in wealth and how he built the nation. You know, he built the temple, he built the palaces of Israel. He was probably their most successful king that they had in those terms. And um, we want to have a look today at his life because not, not only was he very successful, but unfortunately things took a turn towards the later part of his life and, and things started unraveling. And at the end, 
there were things that we can learn from him about a journey and how to keep go the distance with our journey and to stay true in our faith. Now, the, the particular portion that I want to talk about today about his life comes from, from the book of 1 Kings. And I, I want to jump right into it, if you, so if you can just stick with me. In 1 Kings 10, verse 16 to 17, we have this, these, uh, this little bit shown to us. 1 Kings 10 is a portion of Scripture which basically talks about Solomon at his peak, at the zenith of his powers, at the top of his game, when, when things were at its best. 1 Kings 10 is written to show us how great his life was. In the midst of this, there's a story about Solomon and the shields of faith that he put up. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold using 600 shekels of gold on each large shield. He made 300 shields of beaten gold using three miners of gold on each shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. Now, to us, as we read this, we sort of go, okay, that sounds impressive, but it it doesn't really land home for us. In, in modern terms, when he made these shields, he covered them with gold, they were worth about 700 million rand in today's money. So he took the 700 million rands worth of shields, so that's roughly over, uh, over a million rand for each shield it's worth. He took these shields and he placed them in a special building that he built. One of the buildings that he built during the times of his construction was this house in the, that was called the Forest of Lebanon because all the trees were cedar trees that were imported from Lebanon. And he, and he brought these trees over and he built this house. And, and uh, we're not 100% clear from geography what the house was used for, but the best guess seemed that it was a, a big open hall where they had some state functions. And then it had lots of smaller rooms around it. And it seemed like the king's guard actually lived there to protect the treasures that were held in some of the storerooms in this house. So this was an important house of wealth. And sometimes he would receive dignitaries and it would sort of be the place where he would show off his wealth in a, in a big way. So he had these, these shields were put, put along the top of the wall all around the wall. And so that when people came into the house, they could see these impressive shields of gold and realize that this nation is a wealthy nation. This nation is a strong nation. But commentators seem to agree on the fact that why he chose to do this and cover them with gold and make this display was not merely just to display his wealth, but it was to show to people what made them wealthy in the first place. What is the reason for their success as a nation? Now, if you, if you look at the word shield throughout the scripture, a shield is often spoken, and last week I spoke about it, as, as an instrument of faith, that we have our shields of faith. Our shields are the, the, that which protects us, and it comes about because of what we believe in. That's why it's called a shield of faith. If I think of the song we just sang during the offering time, where we proclaimed some of the reasons that we stand, some of the reasons for the hope we have is because of the faith we have. So Solomon wanted to let everybody know that his nation is successful for a reason, and the reason they were successful is because of their faith. Just a little bit less than 500 years ago, this nation that is now so wealthy, this nation that is so successful, were nothing other than slaves, captured with no rights, with no property, with nothing. And in a 500-year period, things changed for them. And here they are, successful and wealthy. Why? Because of the faith that was passed down from generation to generation. Because they held 
they held to their belief system. They held to their system of worship, and they kept themselves as people of God. Now we know that they went through ups and downs, but particularly during the time of David and now in Solomon's reign, that there was a strong sense of God, and our belief in God is the reason that we are doing well as a nation. And Solomon wanted everybody to know that. Not only his own people, but he wanted the people that came and visited him to see the wealth and, to, and, and then for him to be able to say, but the reason we are so wealthy is because of the faith we have. God has blessed us. God is the reason for our wealth and for our success. So as you know the story, Solomon built the temple. It took him seven years to build the temple. And then 13 years he built the palaces. And it was a rich time in the nation of Israel's history where all this wealth was being accumulated. And, and it's great and it's wonderful when a nation goes through times of such great wealth and, and, and when things are going well. But I think just to remind you quickly that if we think of what God treasures, gold for us is important and it, and it adds so much. We're so thankful for our nation, that gold that we've had that have been so helpful to us as a nation and our economy. But what is God's gold? What does God treasure? Because ultimately when we get to heaven, gold is just going to be the pavement you walk on. So what is it that God treasures? And if we go to 1 Peter 1 verse 7, we get an idea of what God's gold is. What is it that God holds most precious? And in 1 Peter 1 verse 7 it says, So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. Your faith, our faith. Our faith that is strong, our faith that stands in God, that is his treasure. That's what he finds delight in, is your, God, is your faith. That's the gold. The gold in your heart is the faith that you have, and it's that gold that God adores, that gold which God treasures, which he says, that is beautiful. So he consistently works on us to increase, and last week I spoke about that a little bit, about how our faith becomes complete, perfect, lacking in nothing. And it's often in difficult times, in tough times, where God is working on us. And in those tough times is the refining. The scripture often talks about the refining fire. It's when God comes and he refines us sometimes. He refines the gold in our hearts because that's his treasure. That's what he enjoys and loves is the gold that is in our hearts. So here we have Solomon. Sort of a place where these two realities come to, 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 together, where he says, we treasure our faith, we treasure our obedience to God, we declare that through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we were instructed through Moses, God led us through the law, through the, the things that God has taught us, we have held and therefore we are a blessed nation. So he holds his faith, but he also has the, the wealth of the world that he can display that faith with. And that's a reality. I think that's true. We'll so often see it, that often when people of faith stand in their faith, and when their faith grows in their hearts, and their faith becomes strong and secure, you'll see the fruits of it. You'll see it become visible. You'll see the blessing on their lives. I don't, it's not always directly correlated with that, and I don't want to say, you know, that take that too far, but it is a reality that if we live according to God's principles, if we live according to God's word, if we, if we hold our faith, there's fruit that comes with that. There's blessing that comes with that on our lives. And here we see it in the life of Solomon. So much so that in 1 Kings 10, verse 23 to 24, it says the following of Solomon. 
So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth, in riches and in wisdom. All the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. He was the best of the best of the day. We get, read the story of the Queen of Sheba that traveled all that way to come and sit at Solomon's feet. To, and, and he took on this tour and he showed him that his, her his kingdom. And he was bragging a bit, you know, sort of just walking around and opened the garage. And there's a Lamborghini and a Ferrari and a Rolls Royce standing there. And, and, you know, just walking around in all the beautiful places and everything's wonderful. And he, he sort of showed her everything. And, and we read the story of this amazing wealth and how impressed everybody was. And, and her response at the end after he showed her everything, he says, surely God had been with you. God had been with you. It is good, it is right that our, our faith shows that God has been with us. Solomon became so wealthy in that time that if you read 1 Kings 10, and you're welcome to do that, we don't have time this morning, it, it gives you sort of a list of all the things that he did really well in. Solomon had so much gold that he covered everything in the kingdom in gold. If you stood long enough still, he'd cover you in gold. It, it was just, it, it's like in my house, if I stand still long enough, Natasha will mosaic me. So I move a lot. And um, in, in, in Solomon's kingdom, he had so much gold that he covered everything with gold. They, he started an import uh, with gold and trading that he brought to the nation of Israel in that time's money about $1.2 billion a year just in gold trading was brought to the nation because of Solomon's success in gold trading. He, was a, he had a great merchant navy. He built up many shifts and with Hiram, the, the, he had a partnership, and they worked together so that he could import anything they want from anywhere in the world. The, the scripture tells us this verse in 1 Kings 10, and it tells us about the, the peacocks and the monkeys and the ivory that they imported from all over the world. So in other words, that means they went to India, they went to Africa, they went anywhere with his great merchant navy that he had to get all the riches and enjoyments and pleasures from all over the world. He also, um, it says that when they imported all these things, that silver became as common as stones in the nation of Israel. Silver had no more value because it was so everywhere that it was just common. Can you experience, feel what the people must have felt like living in that time? Not only did they have great wealth, he built up a great army. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. So it's, if, if you think about how many of you have seen those, remember in the Cold War days when the Russians would have that, that display of their tanks and their missiles that would come through the town, or through the Red Square, and they would show everybody. I mean, he in his day would have had a massively impressive uh, military display, like Donald Trump wants to do now. You know, did you hear that? On the 4th of July, he wants to you know, make the, world, the rest of the world even more scared of America's power. He had a great army that he built up. He, he imported horses from Egypt and then exported them to others and sold them. Now, horses of the day, the type of horses they talk about particularly were, were the horses of the cavalry, were military horses. So he became even an arms dealer in the day. He was, he was making lots and lots of money. The nation of Israel was very successful, especially if you think about it, 500 years before that, they were a nation of slaves that had nothing. 
Now everybody had more than enough. The nation was so wealthy. If you read 1 Kings 10, it's this impressive list. But particularly if you, if, as some of the commentators say, if you read it in the, in the original language and you understand, you start realizing that the writer of the book of Kings is actually saying to you, outwardly all of this was going on, but inwardly something was starting to get, be wrong. Something was not right. And he starts alluding to it. So 1 Kings 10 and 1 Kings 11 becomes this, this, this point of, of where things are changing in the life of Solomon and in the nation of Israel. Up until 1 Kings 10, it talks about how wonderful everything is. And then from 1 Kings 11, it starts talking about some of the failures and the problems they had. And for, um, for many of us, we, we understand this from the story of Solomon, uh, that the sort of the end point, the, the point where it really became clear, the, the point of departure where things started becoming evident that there were problems is, the, is what is mentioned in 1 Kings 11 verse 1, and it's when it speaks about the wives of Solomon. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along the daughter of Pharaoh, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. And we know that if we read the story from here on, it starts talking about how Solomon started worshiping at the idols and the, and the poles of, of his wives' gods. We know that this is the point where it started becoming clear that Solomon was not on track anymore. But we must recognize that so often in life, the journey from when things are really going well to, to, towards the place where things are not going so well anymore is often not a quick decision. It's not a moment where things go wrong in the lives of people. It's often a long journey. And sometimes what happens is, is particularly in times of success, we allow things in our lives. I think there's that great saying that says, don't, don't let this, the, the success of today carry the seeds of tomorrow's failure. And so often it happens in our lives, isn't it? We've seen it with people, that when things are going well, and when, when, when there's so much success and so much wealth, and, and you really, you know, life is wonderful, you, you start relaxing a little bit. And you start relaxing, and even on the things that got you that wealth in the first place, you start compromising. You begin to say, ah, you know, that was good for then, but I don't know if, it, if it's good for now anymore. And the very faith that Solomon was celebrating and holding up and saying, this is what got us here in the first place, he was now starting to, to compromise on that faith. So I'm going to read you a little portion of Scripture. It's the small print that we forget in the times of success. And in the times of Solomon's success, he forgot the small print. And nobody reminded him of the small print, that when God allowed for, the, for Israel to have kings, he said certain things were, were sort of prohibited for the king. He said there's certain things that the kings of Israel must never do. But in the time of success, they forgot about these. Listen, in Deuteronomy 17, from verse 15 to 17, God charged the king with the following, and he spoke to the people. He said, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among, from among your countrymen, you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt 
to multiply horses for him. Uh, multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away. Nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. 1 Kings 10 celebrates three major things. Solomon's wealth, Solomon's horses, and it speaks about the wives that he had as all the symbols of his great wealth. All three of those things are mentioned for a reason because they go against that which God said the king is allowed to do. But you see, in a time of success, we forget the small print like this. Nobody checks that anymore. Nobody makes sure that we're keeping to the right things because, hey, we're successful. Studies have shown that this is a common thing that happens in times of success. If you think about the, the times of where, where we've had an economic collapse recently in 2008, when we had this great economic collapse in, in, in America and, and throughout the world, when they did studies about it to find out what was going on, that, that they started speaking about something that developed in some of these big companies. And they said these big companies that sort of finance the world become a little society within a society, and, and they start living within their own rules. And how the leaders in, that, in those organizations are, start to behave. And, and it says the following, that, um, uh, sorry, just let me find the right words here. That when, what happens in, when, when companies and organizations are really successful, the people stop holding the leaders to the, to the right way things are supposed to be done. And they give the leaders a lot more leeway. They give them a lot more space. They, they allow them. So what was found after, the, after this collapse of 2008 and many of the big banking companies that went, you know, went under and, and so many of the companies, when they started looking at it, they realized that they were doing terrible things. And people knew it. Within the companies, people knew how, how risky they were, how irresponsible they were with their loaning policies and how they, how they just gave money to everybody because, hey, we were successful. Even morally, how bankrupt they were. And, and I mean, there's terrible movies that were even made out of it to show how these CEOs were just living such immoral lives, sexist, racist in every way possible, but nobody held them accountable because we were successful. There's enough money going around. And if you keep everybody happy, if, gold, if silver becomes as common as stones, everybody's happy. Then we let slide things. But that's never the heart of God. Because God's treasure is not the gold against the walls. It's the gold in our hearts. So what God did with Solomon, and God spoke to him. Remember when Solomon dedicated the temple and he made that big you know, display and all those wonderful promises. He, he, it's wonderful to read that list of all the things he said to God. When this happens, remind us to do this. And all these amazing things. And then God's response to Solomon was quite short. He said to Solomon, Solomon, I will bless you as long as you keep to my law. This house, your, your, your kingdom will never come to an end as long as you keep to my law. As long as you obey me and put me first, then I will support your kingdom. And it will never be taken from your hands. But there was this condition. We've always got to understand that our faith needs to be strong in God. And we all probably face periods in our lives where 
where we, where we can move into just the gray area, where you're not quite sure. Because what often, often happens with people in times of great success, you, you see things in their lives, or mm, you just wonder. It could go this way or it could go this way, but it's, it looks like a bit of a gray area. You're not quite certain. And that's why at Boeing, the company that builds the airplanes, on, on one of their, in, in their main office on one of the walls, they have a poster that says the following, between right and wrong is a troublesome gray area. A troublesome gray area. Solomon spent many years in a troublesome gray area, starting to compromise. And everybody was happy because he was making them really wealthy. But God will never allow us to slip away from Him. God will never just look at people that are in this troublesome gray area and go, oh well, I had such high hopes for you. I really thought that we were going to go all the way. I really thought there was so much in you and wow, it's going to be great. But oh well, there goes another one. so sad. Do you know God never does that? When He sees us starting to slip away, He becomes really active. He steps in and He says, I will never let you go. You know that they said that, that when Jesus made that promise, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It was more a threat than a promise. <laughs> if you want to get away from me, don't worry, buddy. I'm not going to let you go. You know, he's like a little bit stalkerish when it comes to that, almost like the, the Holy Spirit's like on you. You know, he's checking you up all the time because he loves you. And he's not going to let you go. And even when we do the dumbest things and even when we forget and we don't read the fine print anymore and we don't hold ourselves accountable and nobody else holds us accountable, God says, I'm not going to let you go. Unfortunately, sometimes what he has to do is to allow us to really hit the wall so that our eyes can be opened up. So what happened in the nation of Israel is God made this promise to Solomon and he said, your kingdom will never be taken, the kingdom will never be taken from your hand as long as you obey me. But then Solomon you know, started with the wives and all the things and, and God eventually said, okay, my, the nation is wandering away from me and I need to, I need to win their hearts back. So right after Solomon, the kingdom was torn in two. You know the story of the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, and it was taken out of his hands. And his two sons started reigning, one the northern kingdom, one the southern kingdom. And in the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was, and they were not doing so well, and, and things were not looking good for for the kingdom of God. And Roboam, that was, that was leading the nation at that time, started his reign, and he did well for the first three years. He, he looked like he was getting things back on track, and he was, he was wanting to serve the Lord. And then, you know, as the success kept on building, he, he started becoming distracted again. And quickly, he started going back into idol worship and, and disowning the Lord. So in 2 Chronicles 12, verse 9 to 11, we, we read the Lord's response to the situation. So Sishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's palace 
He took everything. He even took the golden shields which Solomon had made. The king Roboam made shields of bronze in their place and committed them to the care of the commanders of the guard who guarded the door of the king's house. As often as the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard came and carried them and brought them back into the guard's room. So just think about this irony. 500 years ago, Israel were slaves and doing the building project of the Pharaoh. 500 years later, we find the situation has turned around. Because one of the things you must understand that Solomon did when he built all his massive buildings and he built this big government that he built in Israel is he used slave labor. He took the nations around them, the Canaanites, that they were supposed to chase out, and the ones that they didn't, he made them slaves. So they built all these palaces. And so Israel became this wealthy nation with all these building projects with slaves. Just a mirror image of what God rescued them from. And God said, I don't like it. So in God's sense of irony, who does he raise up to come and take back the gold? Egypt. So the king of Egypt comes and he takes with interest all the gold. Remember when Israel left Egypt? They were sort of on their way out and the Lord stopped them and sent them back and said, go fetch for yourself gold and silver from the Egyptians for the journey and for the new nation that you're going to start. Now the king comes back 500 years later and he says, thank you very much for all the interest that you've accrued for me. The investment has paid off handsomely and he takes back all the wealth and the gold. 700 million rands worth of shields were taken off the walls and taken back to Egypt. You see, because if, if, if building your buildings with slaves is wrong for the Egyptians, it's also wrong for the Israelites. God is not a respecter of persons in that sense. What is right is right. What is wrong is wrong. You cannot put a fish on it or put a cross on it and suddenly it's right. It's wrong. So God raises up the king of, e- of Egypt and they come and plunder Israel. And now the nation is coming into into disrepair. Things aren't looking so good anymore. Now, it's not great when you're the king and those kind of things are happening, particularly if people, all the people around you remember the good days of, of, the, of your father. They remember that everybody had silver. The children played with toys of silver. Everybody had enough silver. Now there's nothing left in the land. Suddenly people are going, what's going wrong? And now you're the leader, you're the king, you must make the people come, you know, calm them down and make them feel that it's going to be okay, guys. We're, we're on the right track. We've had a little bit of a speed wobble, but we're okay. We, we're going for it. We're going to win again, the All Blacks. You know, we're going to get there one day. It's just a little speed wobble. Now you've got to, you know. So what does Roboam do in this time of challenge? He goes and he makes new shields. So he gets... 600 new shields, 200 large ones, 300 smaller ones. But now he doesn't have gold anymore. He can't afford to cover them with gold. So what he does very cleverly is he gets some bronze and he shines it up very nicely. And he puts them, the shields on the wall, uh, not on the wall, he hides them. He puts them in the, in, the, in the guard room. But they buff them up very nicely. And they only take them out on Sundays when he goes to church. And the nation sees him because he wants everybody to think everything's okay. Look, we're still worshiping God. 
The same God that blessed us in the beginning and gave us everything we needed, He's going to bless us again. Just a speed wobble, guys. We are back on track. Look, we've still got wealth as a nation. And the gods would stand with the golden shields and He would walk to church or to worship the Lord between the shields. But the gods would hold the people far away so they couldn't see that these weren't really golden shields anymore. They were just bronze. And then they would hide them away so nobody could see. Isn't it amazing how in times when, and if you remember from last Sunday, I spoke about our shield, and like I said earlier, how our shield gets, the Lord works on our shields to make it perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. But there's times when the Lord tests us, and then it gets exposed that our shield is not as wonderful as we thought. We've papered over some things, literally, <laughs> very clever, papered over. Oh, okay, I'm having a moment with myself. This is paper, papered over the, okay, never mind. <laughs> Obviously a bad joke. So, so we, we cover up, like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When we get exposed, we cover up. We don't like it when people see that everything's not as wonderful, everything's not as great. So when the Lord tests our shield, because this is His treasure, is the gold of our faith. And when the gold is not pure, and when the gold is not right, He comes and He tests it. To show us so that he can work and purify the gold. But those are exposing times for us. Those are times when everybody realizes, whoops, everything is not as wonderful. It may look on the outside all brilliant, but on the inside there's some holes, there's some gaps. And we have a choice to make in those moments. We have a choice. Are we going to say, this is my reality, Lord? Come and deal with me. Are we going to do what David did? How many of you remember Psalm 51? Where David wrote after Nathan spoke to him and, it, and he, he became aware of his deception and how he missed the Lord. Any moment, thank you. It's going to happen. Go on. Oh, it's always wonderful when this happens. There we go. In Psalm 51, one of the Psalms that David wrote Psalms of repentance, he says the following. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. He didn't hide. He exposed his heart. He said, Lord, you're right. I'm a sinner. I've pretended. I've held up my shield and I've made people believe. But I realized that there was a big hole. But Lord, I love you so much. And he carries on in verse 10. He says the following. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You see, David was a man of faith. And in the tough times, the tough get going. The tough get going on making sure that they allow God to do what he needs to do so that this can become complete, pure, lacking nothing. But so often our human response 
is when God tests us and when we see the hole and it becomes exposed, we find some cheap way like Reboam did. We buy some bronze and we cover it up. And we say, yeah. look, it's beautiful. It's no problem. We, we find an animal and we kill it. And we, or some leaves, sorry. We find some leaves and we, and we weave together for ourselves something and we cover it up. Because we don't like it when people see that something's not right. We, we want to look like everything's great. But then we don't have the treasure on our hearts. We can have the treasure. We can take the shield and put it up on the wall and show everybody, look, look how beautiful. But that isn't what, what God treasures. This is what He treasures. This is where He wants the gold. Are you that person that when it gets tough, you get going? You get going on your knees and you say, Lord, create in me a pure heart. Perhaps I've gone through times of where things have gone well and I've allowed myself just a little bit too much space. I've given myself a little bit too much leeway. I've just relaxed a little bit. And I'm not talking about the things of grace. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about, like David said, restore to me my first love. Bring back the joy of my salvation. Make you my treasure above everything else. I've become so impressed with your blessings, Lord, that I forgot you. And whatever that looks like in all of our lives, that'll have different permutations and ways that we, that we allow that to happen. But I want to encourage you this morning and, and ask of you, let us be people of faith. This country needs people of faith. Real people of faith. People that have been tested. People of humility. Pride covers up. Humility kneels and says, you are right, Lord. You are so true. You are so very right. I have failed. And it's not a broken place in sense of it, it breaks us as a human being. It's a broken place in, in, the, in the place of where, where we allow God's healing to make us stronger. So I want to pray for you with us this morning. And, and I think what Herman touched on earlier, and I want to continue on in that. If you are here today and, and you've not come to a place of faith, and it was so wonderful to see people respond, even during the, the offering, to come and say, I give God first, not the treasure of gold, but the treasure of my heart. And perhaps you're here today and you've never done that. You've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, I want, to, I want your gold in my heart. Then we want to let you come forward right now and pray for you. But I believe there's other people also. They're just, you're just at a place where you're wanting to say, Lord, you are my first love. You are my first love. Can we close our eyes just in a moment? I just feel that there's a, a presence of the Lord here. And if you'd allow me to be so bold, I really strongly feel I was not planning for this at all. But I just strongly feel the Lord saying that even us as a church, as a community, we need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, you're our first love. 
We want you more than anything else. More than being successful as a church. We want you. We want our hearts to be after you, Lord. You are our treasure. Thank you for so much good that you've done for us as a church. But rather than gold on the walls, we want the gold in our hearts. We know the gold on the walls will give you honor and you will bless us. But that's not what we seek first, Lord. We seek to be people of faith. So Lord, we just come before you this morning. And as a community, we say, we love you, Lord. If you agree with that statement this morning, just raise your hand and say, I, I, I love you first, Lord. And just, just keep our hands up. Just let's communicate to our Father today and say, Lord, you first. You first, Lord. Lord, whatever you need to do in us, do it, Lord. So that you can be first in everything. Come, Holy Spirit. Continue to work in us and create in us a pure heart, a clean heart. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, as individuals, we also come and we just say, you first, Lord. You first. Thank you for every blessing we've received from you. Thank you for everything you do for us. Thank you for your grace, your kindness, your mercy that you pour out upon us and we do not deserve. But Lord, we say, you first. We love you, Lord. And may you find in us the treasure of faith, the gold that is more precious than any, any earthly and material thing, our faith. Work in us, Lord. Work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for every person here this morning. Every family represented, Father, I bless them in Jesus' name. I bless them, Father, in a season of your nearness. A season where you are working with us, reshaping us, remolding us for that which you have called us. And thank you, Father, that we have you by your Spirit. You never leave us. You're always busy with us. We're so thankful to you. And we bless you, Lord. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.